Okay, we're in the second week uh, of a sermon series on Advent. Uh, if you're not familiar with the word Advent, it's basically a celebration of the coming of Christ. During Advent, we celebrate Christ with grateful adoration for what he has already done. During Advent, we also celebrate Christ with glorious anticipation for what he is going to do. Grateful adoration, glorious anticipation. The Advent season is all about the reawakening of our longing for Christ in our hearts. Uh, last week we focused on this idea of beholding Christ, the Lamb of God. This week we're going to explore the idea Feasting on Christ, the bread of life. Uh, allow me to read the passage from the Bible that we're going to be looking at this, this morning. Uh, it's from John chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. John was a disciple of Jesus and he wrote an entire account, an account of the entire life of Jesus. And I'm going to read a small portion uh, from that. John chapter 6, verses 25 to 35. When they found Jesus on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is God's word. Allow me to pray for us for a moment before we dive into this passage. Father, we thank you. We pray, Lord, that uh, we would not just uh, hear about Christ, the bread of life, uh, but Lord, I pray that we will have an experience of feasting on Christ Jesus, the bread of life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We can have just a little bit more volume on the monitors. That would be wonderful. Thank you. The central idea of the passage is Jesus' proclamation that he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life, Jesus proclaimed. To be very honest, this doesn't really translate well into our cultural context. So if you're South Indian, you're probably going to read this as Jesus saying, I am the rice of life. 
Or if you are North Indian, you are going to say, Jesus is the roti of life. Or if I translate this into the language of our fitness conscious generation, your reaction might be well like this. Oh no, I am on a keto diet. I can't eat bread. Or, or sorry bro, I am off gluten. I guess we all intuitively know that when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is meaning a lot more than just bread. He is meaning a lot more than just even food. And so I have a very simple goal this morning. My goal this morning is to help us, is to try and help us appreciate the full significance of what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. And so to do that, I want to draw out three things for us from this passage. First, I want to look at the creation of our appetites. Second, I want to look at the disordering of our appetites. And lastly, the redemption of our appetites. The creation of our appetites, the disordering of our appetites, or the distortion of our appetites, and the redemption of our appetites. And I'm using the word appetite because bread is obviously connected with appetite. That said, let's, let's dive into the first thing we want to look at this morning. The creation appetites. Uh, let me say something straight up. And I think what I'm about to say is, is going to bring a little bit of an aha moment for us. The first thing I want to say is God did not create food for mere eating. God created food for feasting. For feasting. Yeah, I, I know we have a lot of foodies here. Right? And myself first. What's the difference between eating and feasting? Eating is, is routine. Feasting is joy. Eating is, is utility. You know, you have to eat to live. But feasting is all about beauty. Eating is about the ordinary. Feasting is always special. Mere eating is just about survival and sustenance. Feasting is about finding pleasure and delight. And God did not create food for mere eating. He created food for feasting. Now, let me assure you, this is not some bright idea that I had. And this is I'm getting this idea from how the Bible introduces the very idea of food. I'm getting this idea from how God introduces food to humanity. Look at the creation account in the Bible in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. If you're, this is your first time in a church or you're just still early in, in the church experience. Genesis is the first uh, book in the Bible and Genesis gives us the creation account. And I'm just reading one portion of how God created uh, the earth and everything in it. Genesis chapter 2 verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Fruit that was pleasing to the eye and good for food. This passage talks about the creation of our appetite. God created food. God created human beings and God created in us a capacity to have an appetite. God created in us a capacity to enjoy food. And in this passage, 
the Bible uses two words to describe food, two phrases to describe food. The first phrase was that it was pleasing to the eye. And the second phrase is that it was good for food. Pleasing to the eye and good for food. Neither of these phrases suggest dull and monotonous eating. Both of these phrases suggest joyful feasting. The, the Hebrew word beneath this phrase, pleasing to the eye, is the word kamad. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It means, uh, uh, it means to desire. It means to, to take pleasure in. It means to take delight in. So when we see food, that's the kind of appetite that it's, it's, it's meant to evoke in us. And so God did not create food for mere eating. He created food for us to delight in. He created food for feasting. I guess most of us have watched MasterChef Australia or, or some other cooking show. In all of those shows, an incredible amount of emphasis is placed on the plating skills. Now, or if you go to a good restaurant, uh, there's a lot of attention that people give to the plating skills. The, the idea is that and you, in, in these cooking shows, you'll hear people saying this again and again and again. People keep saying, we eat with our eyes. We eat with our eyes. And that's why they want to plate the food so well. It is God who created us to eat with our eyes. When you see a plate of, of, of good-looking food nicely set up, we, 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 our appetite for it is kind of aroused. And it is God who gave us that ability to delight in and find pleasure in food. That's why it says pleasing to the eye. We eat with our eyes. The second phrase the Bible uses to describe food is God created the trees and the fruit and it was good for food. In the book of Genesis, in the creation account, every time the word good is used, we'd better sit up and take notice because it's really communicating something deep. God created the sun, the moon, and the stars, and he stepped back and he saw that it was good. God was not just saying uh, it, is, it is good in one sense. God was actually deriving pleasure from what he created. So when God created the sun, the moon, the stars, and God said it was good, that phrase is trying to communicate to us that what God created, he was deriving pleasure from. And so when the Bible uses the word good for food, it means food is designed. We, we are designed to find pleasure and delight in food. And so it is from the creation account of the book of Genesis that I'm getting this idea that God did not create food for mere eating. God created food for feasting. And it is with this biblical context of the creation of our appetites that I want to invite us to view Jesus' proclamation that I am the bread of life. When Jesus proclaimed, I am the bread of life, he is not trying to evoke the imagery of mere eating. Jesus is evoking the imagery of of delightful feasting. Let me put it simply. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life, Jesus did not come to be just useful to us. Jesus came to be delicious 
to us. He came that we might enjoy Him. He came that we might feast on Him. And when, so when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, it should not evoke the emotion of a supermarket, picking up a loaf of bread, putting it in a shopping cart and move on. That's sheer indifference. That's not the emotion Jesus is trying to evoke in us. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he is trying to evoke in us a sense of, the same sense of anticipation, the same sense of delight and pleasure that we feel when we go to a five-star rated restaurant and the waiter walks in with our order and looks absolutely delightful to our eyes. The call of Advent is a call to feast on Christ Jesus. To feast on Him. And this morning, I want to really help us think through this very simple question. What does our relationship with Jesus look like? Is it like mere eating? Or is our relationship with Jesus like delightful feasting? You know, when we, when we think of eating, I mean, think of how our parents taught us to eat. You'd better eat. If you don't eat, you're not going to grow up to be a strong man. Yeah, I mean, those days, I don't think I understood what six-packs were when I was a child. But when I was, you know, maybe when I was three years old, my parents had said, if you eat, you'll get six-packs. I, I might well have eaten a lot more than I did. So, at some level, and all of us, you know, and I, I, it's not just our parents who did it, but I'm willing to bet every one of us, when you do become parents, you will do it to your children. I did it to my children. As much as I hated my parents doing it to me, we're all going to put in some sense of fear to get our child, or to get our children to eat. And so, there is a consumption of Jesus that we out of fear. If I don't go to church, God's not going to bless me. If I don't read the Bible, God's not going to bless me. That's that's kind of out of fear. That's mere eating, or or seeing that as a very functional, utilitarian thing to do. That's not how Jesus wants us to view Him. Jesus is calling us to, to just delight in Him. He's calling us because He wants Himself to be precious to us. He wants to be a feast to us. And that's the first thing I wanted to draw for us from this passage. The creation of our appetites. The second thing I'd like to draw out is the disordering of our appetites, the disordering or the distortion of our appetites. Let me share a little bit of background to this passage. We just read a bunch of verses. Uh, this is from John chapter 6. Before um, this conversation happened, which we just read, there's a backstory to that. And that backstory kind of begins in John chapter 6. The backstory is, is simply this Jesus uh, was preaching, and a huge crowd of about 5,000 men gathered to hear him teach. And, uh, and it grew pretty late, and there was no food, and all they could find was five small barley loaves and two small fish. And Jesus prayed and miraculously multiplied that, that little five loaves and two fish, and that was enough and more to feed 5,000 men. After this incident happened, Jesus crosses the lake and goes on to the other side during the night. He actually walks on water, but that's another story. And um, when the men wake up, they find Jesus is not here, and they're on the other side. He's on the other side. 
And so at least some of these 5,000 men, we don't know how many of them, they take a boat too and they cross the river and come to Jesus. They come in pursuit of Jesus. And it seems as if they were looking for Jesus because of their devotion to him. But Jesus, who is able to look into our hearts, he tells us otherwise. Now look at verse 26 from the passage we read. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed. You are looking for me not because you believe I am God. And you're looking for me not because you're devoted to me, but you're looking for me because you ate the bread and had your food. They were not here for Jesus. They were here for the bread. They loved the bread more than they loved Jesus. Their appetites were distorted. Jesus is pointing to them and Jesus is pointing to us today and he's calling us out and he's telling us that our appetites are distorted. What are we chasing Jesus for? Are we chasing Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for our transformation, that we might be a blessing to others, or are we chasing Jesus merely for a better career, for, for better finances, etc.? What is it that our hearts are, are finding greatest pleasure in? What is it that we are feasting on? Let me, let me ask this another way. What is the bread you have been feasting on? What bread have you been feasting on? This past week, this, this past month, what have been our most enjoyable moments? This past month, what are the things that we've found the most joy in. Whatever we found our joy in, that is what we are really feasting on. Stay with me here, please. I, I want to show us something that's even more beautiful, that's even more profound from this passage. Look at verse 27, Jesus speaking again. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Think about the relationship between work and food at one very simplistic, most basic level. Eating gives us strength. We eat so we can work. But that's not what Jesus is showing us in the verse. In this verse, Jesus is actually showing us that the opposite is also true. He's showing us that we also work for food. We labor for food. We strive for food. We exert ourselves for food. And remember, when we say food, we're not just talking about mere eating. We're talking about feasting. And so Jesus is saying something very profound here. He's reminding us that that which we find beautiful, that which our hearts are captivated with, that which has captured our imaginations. That which is the object of our affections. That which we crave to feast on. That has become the bread of our lives. And that is what we will work the most hardest for. Jesus is helping us see that we will all work like crazy 
we will all work like madmen, burning ourselves out to get the bread that we want to feast on. I don't just mean bread eating here, I mean everything else in life that, that we desire. So, what have we been working the hardest at this past month? The answer to that question will show us, will tell us what bread we are feasting on. These men came to Jesus for bread, but Jesus is telling them that he didn't come just to give them bread. He is saying he is the bread of life. Jesus is telling us that he did not come to this world to assist us in meeting our desires. Jesus came to this world to be our most cherished desire. So when Jesus proclaims, I am the bread of life, the question we need to ask ourselves is simply this. Are we feasting on Christ or are we feasting on something else? Are we finding our delight in Christ? Is Christ pleasing to our eye or has something else captivated our affection? If we were to answer that question truthfully, we will all acknowledge that we are all living with disordered appetites. We're all living with distorted appetites. Think about the work that we do. Think about what drives us to the work, to do the work that we do. Are we, let, let, let's think about this for a minute. Are, are we all working hard to merely eat? Or are we all working really hard so we can feast? Let me talk about food first and I'll, I'll kind of talk about everything else. Um, are we working hard so that we can all live the rest of our lives at YMCA and eat Kima Pau for 25 bucks and be happy in life? Is that the goal? Is that why we are working? Is, is, that, is that our ambition in life? Not at all. We are all working hard with the dream of buying an apartment, yeah, even in Bombay, uh, you know, and, and someday have enough money to eat fancy meals and, and to go to fancy restaurants and, and to go out on, on, on fancy uh, holidays. Obviously, we are all working so we can feast. None of us uh, will say, oh, Bro, I'm just working to eat three simple meals a day. None of us. You know, if you've been following the war of words between the present finance minister and the past finance minister, you'll get what I'm saying. We're not, we're all never satisfied with mere onions. We need avocado. Right? None of us. None of us are content with mere eating. And I'm not just talking about food. I'm talking about every good thing in life. None of us. We're not happy with mere eating. We all live in the dream, in the desire, in the desperate hope that in every area of our life, we can enjoy a delightful feast. Why is that? Have you ever thought of that? Why is it that we are not content with small things in life? That we always want big things. Why is it that we are not content with mere eating? Why is it that we all crave for feasting 
The answer is a very simple answer. We are like that because all of us have incredibly big appetites. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about food here. Every one of us, we have this incredibly large capacity to enjoy pleasure. Every one of us. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. You're like, our capacities to enjoy pleasure, our appetites for food and every good thing in life is not small. They are big. Now, is there any person here who's never failed in a diet? Is there any one person who said, I've always accomplished the goals that I have in my diet? No, I bet there's no one. Why can we not stick to our diet? We cannot stick to our diet because our appetites are too big and too powerful. Let's, let's think about things other than just food in the context. Because Jesus is not just talking about food here. He's talking about all the good things in life. So let's look outside of food. Think about sex. What do the millions and millions and millions of pornographic websites tell us about the human appetite for sex? What do they tell us? They tell us that as human beings, we have an enormous appetite for sex. Take work. When the work is good, when we are doing meaningful work, when we are being appreciated for our work, nobody ever wants to stop working. True, isn't it? When you have a lousy boss, that's a different deal. When you have a good boss and you're being celebrated for your work, who on earth wants to stop working? We have an incredibly large appetite to enjoy work. You'll like this. Take Netflix. Anybody here who just watched an episode and said, Oh, it's good. I'll see the rest tomorrow. <laughs> Guys, for us, forget an episode. Even an entire season is not enough sometimes. You know, we just kind of just go on binge-watching. The point I'm trying to make is simply this. Human beings have an incredibly huge appetite for everything. Everything. None of us, I bet none of us here in this room, none of us in the city, none of us in the world is ever content with mere eating. We all want a feast of everything every single day in our lives. Why is that? Why is that? Have you ever have you ever wondered why? I want to really help us think through this. We have a huge appetite for everything because we were created with a huge appetite. We were all created with an extraordinarily high ability to enjoy pleasure. Why is that? Why were we created with an extraordinary ability to enjoy pleasure. We were created with a really big capacity to enjoy pleasure because we were created primarily to enjoy God. Let that sink in. Let that really sink in. Each of us, we have this incredibly large capacity to enjoy pleasure 
because we were created primarily to enjoy God. Now, we might have grown up with all kinds of notions about God. God will poke your eyes if you're not good. You know, that's what I was, I was taught. We might have all kinds of notions, but let me say, God is of infinite pleasure. Why is that? Because he's perfect. What robs us of pleasure? What robs us of the pleasure of food? If it's not perfect, if there's too much salt, it's not good. What robs us of the pleasure of watching a Netflix series when the Wi-Fi fails us? Right? Imperfection takes away pleasure. So if you see holiness as perfection, holiness is pleasure. God is the source of infinite holiness, so God is the source of infinite pleasure. And God is not small, folks. God is not just five seasons or six seasons. He is eternal seasons. Eternal seasons. He is big. God is not small. If God were to be small, he would have created it with a small capacity to enjoy him. But God is big. And because God is big, he has created us with a big capacity to enjoy him. Because if we did not give that big capacity in us to enjoy him, every time we see God, we'll just explode with pleasure. Because he is just so full of goodness, so full of perfection, so full of pleasure. Think of it like this. Imagine bars of gold. I know plastic is forbidden, but please allow me to use it just in an illustration. I, I don't use plastic in my life. It's just an illustration. Yeah. Imagine... Imagine you have five bars of gold. Each bar of gold is one kg in weight. And you have this flimsy little polythene bag in which to carry the six kilograms of gold to your home. What's going to happen when you put the gold in the thin, flimsy polythene bag, hold it by its handle and walk? What's going to happen? The bag is going to give away. It's going to tear apart and the gold is going to fall down. And so it is. In our relationship between God and us. If God had created us with a small pleasure, small capacity to enjoy Him, the source of all ultimate pleasure, then He's going to be foolish. Because he, we are not going to, if we don't have the capacity to enjoy the fullness of God, we're going to be like that polythene bag, which gives way when we put gold in it. Heavy gold in it. You know, if we didn't have the pleasure, if we didn't have the capacity to enjoy God to His fullness, this is what life would have looked like. You know, we'll be walking by, we'll say, God, oh, you're so beautiful, and we just explore with pleasure. We can't contain His pleasure. We'll cease to exist. And so God created us with this really high appetite. He created us with this really huge capacity to enjoy pleasure because we were created primarily to enjoy Him. And in Him and through Him, all the good gifts like food, like beautiful sex with a marriage, like a career that is not moving towards workaholics, everything falls into place when we put God at the center. Now, if we are created like this, and I hope you're agreeing with me on this, what happens to us when we walk away from God? This is what happens to us. When we walk away from God, when we find Jesus is too boring, I don't have time for Jesus, 
my work is too important, my family is too important. Uh, when that happens, the capacity to enjoy pleasure is still in us. But we've walked away from God. And so if we are not enjoying God, we have to engage this capacity for pleasure in other things. And so if we walk away from God, we are basically going to morph into an octopus with thousand tentacles. And each tentacle grabbing, can I find pleasure here? Can I find pleasure here? Can I find pleasure? Will this satisfy my soul? Will this fulfill me? Will this make me whole? Will this make me feel complete? We, because we have this capacity for pleasure, we need, we cannot exist without finding means and ways to engage this capacity for pleasure that God has given us. And that explains to me why we are all obsessed with money or career or food or sex or Netflix or, or relationships. The truth is, none of us can lead unobsessed lives. We will find it boring. We were all created to live with a magnificent obsession. God himself. We cannot exist. We cannot have a meaningful, purposeful existence if we do not have a magnificent obsession. And only God is worthy. Only Christ Jesus is worthy of that magnificent obsession. Nothing else can satisfy us. So when we walk away from God, when we are not able to engage with Jesus, what happens to us? And so, we are all walking around with this God-sized appetite, with this God-sized capacity to enjoy pleasure, and we are looking to engage this with this capacity for pleasure and other things which are really tiny when compared to an infinite God. And the net result, the net result of this is that we live unsatisfied and unfulfilled lives. Empty lives. Tell me, has anyone felt good after binge-watching Netflix for 24 hours? Yeah, for those of us who struggle with pornography, if you've just indulged in it, do you feel good about yourself after that? Or take something very simple. If, you, or if you've just stuffed yourself with food, do we feel good about ourselves? We've had the pleasure, right? Why, why isn't it feeling good? It's not good enough not good enough. Now, a lot of people think that if you become a Christian, that's it. You know, I seriously thought that, you know, I won't go into that. Yeah, that that's a distraction. I'll stay. I'll, I'll stay. Yeah. Many of us think that if we, if we follow Jesus, oh, there's no pleasure in life. I think it's the other way around. The greatest pleasures, it's like pleasure comes alive in its true meaning and purpose when we put Jesus at the center. Let me help us reflect on this more. Let's think of the reality of the world around us. Why do you think there's so much sadness and mental health issues around us today? Why do you think that is? 
psychologists say that boredom is quite often one of the indicators of depression. They say that boredom, feeling bored, can actually be a possible sign of coming depression. There's a study in a journal, a pretty scientific journal called Motivation and Emotion. It was published in 2013 and it kind of identified five types of boredom that human beings experience at proper research. And they concluded that one of these types of boredom, feeling bored, can actually lead to depression. We feel bored when our God-given capacities of, for pleasure are not engaged appropriately in God. And I'm sure all of us have experienced this. When we feel bored, it's as if the life has been sucked out of us. We cannot exist feeling bored. We feel restless. We feel incomplete. We feel unworthy. Which is why sometimes boredom can actually lead to depression. This is what I mean by the disordering of our appetites or the distortion of our, of our appetites. This is a very humbling picture. The state of acknowledging, of accepting that we, we have, we're living with distorted appetites, it's very humbling. It reminds us that we can never be whole without God. It reminds us that we can never truly feel alive apart from God. That's the second thing I wanted to draw for us from the passage. The disordering of our appetites. Fix this. Is there, is there any hope for us? How do we fix this? And that brings us to the third and the last thing, the thing I, I want to close with. The redemption of our appetites. The redemption of our appetites. Here's the irony that we are all living with. We all have a God-sized appetite and an extraordinary high capacity to enjoy pleasure in us. But in ourselves, we cannot go and meet with God to have these desires fulfilled in Him. We cannot go to God by ourselves because we have sinned. We have messed up. And we, our sin and our mess-ups and our own wickedness and our own selfishness has separated us from God. The bad things we've done, the wicked things we've done, the lazy things we've done, and the good things that we have failed to do, all of these, all of these, our imperfections have separated us from a perfect God. Our sin has separated us from God. And so we can no longer draw close to Him to have our appetites if you're a follower of Jesus, follower of Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. For those of us who are explorers, if this is your first time or you're still early to the church experience, we use the word explorers because you're, you're seeking, you're interested in Jesus. Uh, maybe you're curious about him. You're on your journey. And at New City, you have your space to, to make this journey by yourself. At your pace. You set the pace, not us. And, and if you're an explorer, you may not quite... Um, you, you might not come, I bet you didn't come to church thinking, oh, I am a sinner, I need Jesus. If this, nobody ever comes to church the first time. Oh, very few people come to church like that. So I, we get it. Uh, you might not really think of really sin like that. You might not think of sin as having separated from God. You might not think like that. That's, that's biblical language. But 
But even you intuitively know that God is beyond your reach. We might not think of us being sinners and all that. This is sin, this is not. We might not think like that if you're, if you're an explorer. But you know that there are moments when you call out to God and you have not been able to connect with Him. That's real. There's, there's no walking away from that. Thoughts like, does God really exist? Does God really care for me? Uh, God is just an, an, an abstract concept. These notions, they are mere excuses to hide our inability to connect with God by ourselves. By ourselves, in our own strength, by our own efforts, we can never get hold of God. We can never get hold of God, but we can never go to heaven to get hold of God, but God can come down from heaven to give himself to us. God can come down from heaven as sinful and as messed up as we are and give himself to us that we might have all our capacity for pleasure fulfilled in him. That is exactly what Christ Jesus did. Look at the passage we are looking at, verses 33 to 35. This is what Jesus says. For the bread of God, which is Christ Jesus himself, is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life, Jesus said. Jesus, the bread of life. He came down from heaven. He was perfect in every way. Beautiful, perfect, faithful, obedient son of God. Jesus was God himself. And he came down in the form of man. And that's Advent and that's Christmas. He came down in the form of man. He lived a perfect life, tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet he was sinless. And so he deserved to be blessed by God in every way. But what he got instead was a death, a cruel, shameful death on the cross. Not because of anything, any wrong that he did, not because the, the soldiers crucified him, but because God himself sent his son to death on a cross so that Jesus can pay the punishment for your sins and mine. Dying on the cross, Jesus absorbed all of God's punishment for our sins on himself. And he rose again from the dead to prove to us that the punishment is done. The sentence is over. It is finished. And he rose again from the dead. And his death and his resurrection is what? reconciles us to God. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we find that our capacity for pleasure is being engaged in God. Allow me to pray for us. Father, we come before you in worship. Lord, we pray. We pray, Lord, even now, would you help us those of us who are followers and those of us who are explorers, will you help every one of us experience the pleasure of God in Christ Jesus? Lead our hearts to worship. Help us see what Christ Jesus has done for us.
we worship you, Lord. We give ourselves, we lay our lives down for the pleasure of enjoying God in Christ Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.